Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we have Marek. And let me, let me try this once. It's, it's a great name, uh, but for, for an American here, I'll do my best. Jmeslowski. Yeah, you're so good at it. Yes, All right, I, good. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I practiced a couple of times, but you just want to make sure I had it. Marek, you have a fascinating story. Um, and, uh, you know, I love the subtitle of your book, Chasing Black Unicorns, how building the Amazon of Africa put me on the Interpol's most wanted list. So yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear that. Um, but just from a high level, kind of like what, what is your big work that you do today? And then we'll kind of go backwards and see yeah. you know, how we caught up to today. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of unpacking the book title, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I am essentially an online entrepreneur. I love to build companies on the on the internet. But what I've really focused on is to do that in emerging markets, almost even frontier markets. I'm Polish born. So first years of my career in the early 2000s were really in the online space of Poland, which at that time was really, you know, underdeveloped, technologically speaking, and also very early economy. And then I fell in love with, with doing that at such an early stage, to that extent that in 2012, I have moved to Nigeria to do this crazy thing with a couple of other guys and an investment fund to to try to build an e-commerce company there, mm. which was supposed to be the Amazon. And uh, that adventure that was supposed to really take place for a couple of months is still going. Uh, uh, since 2012, almost all my business adventures were on the African continent. And I was wow. always building some sort of technology businesses there because I really love that early stage, that crazy I don't want to use the word, for the lack of the better word, Wild West economy, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's there's a lot of chaos, but also a lot of opportunity. Um, I kind of love it. And that's what my focus has been for the last more than 15 years. Yeah. So when you built, um, you know, again, your, your first business in Africa was, was, was that the e-commerce platform? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, uh, and- yeah. Why, uh, you know, what what led you to understand the opportunity there, and why uh, did you jump on that to to build, you know, again this Amazon uh, of Africa? Yeah. As much as I would love to take credit for this, this wasn't my idea. Um, mm-hmm. I met guys from a very powerful German investment fund that at mm-hmm. that stage was already very successful in e-commerce in Asia and in Latin America, and because. Alibaba was in China and Amazon was in America, North America. Yeah. They said, okay, I think there's one more continent we could try to attack, which was Africa. And they, at that stage, uh, were looking for some early managers, employees that would join the team. And if they deliver the results, if they stay with the company long enough, they would earn their shares. So I basically became the, the employee number one of the travel division of the huge e-commerce group. And mm. they actually sent me to Nigeria and, and I didn't know what's going to happen. And, and the fact that I fell in love with Nigeria and then uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and also doing businesses there was just a pure coincidence. Everything now looks, makes sense from hindsight, but that was really a chance. Yeah. 
You know, I'm I'm looking at your reviews of your book, um, Chasing Black Unicorns. I, I love this first one. It goes, if this isn't a story for a Hollywood movie, then I don't know what it is what is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay, um, so so give us give us the story of, you know, you kind of set the uh the the uh the the background. Uh yes. All right, take us through what happened. Yeah. So let me start with the with the most important part of the of the of the story is that those almost almost a decade uh, when you also combine what I've done a little bit earlier of online businesses in very emerging markets uh, has given me extreme adventures, both positive and negative. The positive part was that you know we built a company which ended up on New York Stock Exchange, so that's a great adventure from a startup to a very well established company that uh-huh. the lot of knowledge that you want to share with. But then I'm trying to be diplomatic here. In in very exotic countries, in emerging economies, there's always mm-hmm. a lot of problems with corruption and business sure. competition is very ruthless. And uh, and police is being involved in business disputes many times. And basically everything has a price. Basically what happened for me is my business partners decided to bribe Nigerian police into forcing me to sell my company for almost nothing. Mm. The scheme is very simple. And if you dig deeper, you will realize that it's a very popular scheme. Uh, you either go to jail because there's a fake arrest warrant on you with some fabricated evidence, <laughs> or you're going to sell someone a company for almost nothing. Uh, I was one of the luckiest guys and decided to fight the whole case in the courts. It took me more than two years. Uh, the case was in Nigerian courts, in French courts, because that's where oh. Interpol headquarters is, in Polish courts. And the whole process, I was collecting evidence, I was collecting stories, I was archiving everything. And when I won, I decided to also share my story to, to for this to be a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. because I wanted my book to be not only you know business book, which might be boring. It's four hundred pages. You don't want this to be only about business, but <laughs> also has some entertaining aspect. I mean, when I say entertaining from perspective of time, you can actually laugh at what happened to me, <laughs> because some stories are so crazy they're funny. Uh, but that combination is what I, I hope makes the makes the reader interesting. But also, yeah. it's a cautionary tale. So, what was it in particular about Interpol that they're like, yeah, this guy's uh, we we got to keep an eye on him. Yeah. So, Interpol works like Facebook for the police all over the world. It's a platform that allows them to exchange information, which is uh-huh. a very noble. It's a very noble goal, right? If you have a criminal mm-hmm. from one country, you don't want him to move to another and start right. fresh. And, but just like with Facebook, the goal was very noble, but Facebook has turned into this monster. <laughs> and unfortunately, Interpol also has a lot of problems of being abused in many ways. Essentially, any country in the world that is linked to Interpol, any police station in that matter for Nigeria, as long as they have access to the Interpol, they can issue an arrest warrant, scan it, put it into the system, and it's there. And if someone has posted on Facebook something that they didn't have the right to, something maybe about you, you want them to take it down, but they don't want to, good luck going to Facebook and uh, and asking Facebook to take it down because you have oh, the right to. Right. It's going to take years and you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of lawyers. So this yeah. is the scheme where Interpol is being abused. It's very easy to put an arrest warrant on someone if you know someone in the local police station and that person will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal Oof. fees. Oh. During that time, my image will be destroyed. I won't be able to travel anywhere because I will be stopped at any airports. It's designed to make you bleed until you give up and do what they want you to do. So that's yeah. the Interpol abuse in the whole story. It's it's much, yeah. much, much, much easier to put you there than anyone would expect. You know, someone else described it. The book for me is like Jason Bourne meets Steve Jobs. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's actually very nice. I mean, yeah. but I, I just want to point out here, um, if you live long enough in, in those emerging economies, first mm -hmm. that was Poland for me, then Nigeria, yeah. then Kenya, then South Africa, I mean, the adventures just find you. You just have to wait. <laughs> and if you're lucky enough, you will be able to share the story. There are many people who just, you know, not able to share it. So I wouldn't even consider my my, my stories being that crazy uh, for someone that has been living there for more than a couple of years. Yeah. They're just so much different. The adventures are so much different than what you right. would expect in the States. Yeah. What's the most, not necessarily exciting, but like in your heart, why work in emerging economies? First of all, at some point, I realized as a, as a manager during my journey in entrepreneur that I am allergic to Excel. Which basically means um, I'm very excited by the early stage of company growth, uh, and I'm and I'm really excited by chaos. I thrive on chaos. I like when there's really no regulations. No one really knows what to do. It's like in a startup world, like everything is like no one knows how to do it. You're trying to push something totally new, and it gives you some sort of satisfaction that you can't just get if you're working in a market that is super structured and you're just coming up with a Business idea number one hundred five: How to steal millennials' credit card details to 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 you know hook them up to another app or game. Mm -hmm. On top of this, as cheesy as it sounds, you are taking part in the in the most real capitalism ever: the small, medium-sized capitalism. Like you're solving real problems. The online yeah. travel agency and the e-commerce uh, site we built in Nigeria was one of the first in the country. So we were like solving real issues giving employment to people that probably wouldn't be able to work in an online company before that. And you see that very direct influence of your activity into the environment around you. It's as if the business itself is a, is a corporate social responsibility. Like you don't have to do any charity work. The business itself in a way helps the market as well. And, uh, you you don't get that again in a, in a market dominated by international corporations, because then you have the bad side of capitalism. Um, and I like that that smaller side, that more romantic side of that mm. more more productive side of capitalism, which you can't get anymore any anymore if you are working in a in a first first world uh, yeah. country in a way. So those you're two a, things, I guess, yeah. are for me more important. You're a board member for Launch Africa, which uh, you know again, uh, it's a VC fund planning to invest a lot of money in, in tech yeah. in the African yeah. content continent. Where, where would you see are maybe some of the biggest opportunities in Africa right now for either a, a tech startup, you know, technology, investor, that sort of thing? If you're asking me, asking me holistically, I wouldn't say that technology is the biggest opportunity. I yeah. think the biggest opportunity is in the most classic businesses, infrastructure, agriculture, mm. uh, services, and so on. When it comes to technology, for sure, by far, the biggest opportunity lies right now in fintech. Because fintech is one of those businesses that is available for everyone. Doesn't matter yeah. how much money you have, and Africa has a big problem with poverty. Doesn't doesn't matter how poor you are. At some point, you want to send someone money. You want to have some sort of insurance. You want to loan some money. So this is a very low price point service, uh, which allows you to scale very fast. At the same time, Africa doesn't have advanced banking system, so there's no status quo. You have to fight when you're building your own fintech. Mm -hmm. uh, which is why actually fintech solutions, I consider them as many times more advanced uh, than in Europe, for example. Uh, sending money from one country to another, from one person to another is much, much easier between banks, for example, in Nigeria than in Europe. Uh, 
Um, and I actually already see examples of Nigerian startups in fintech uh, or South African and Kenyan actually expanding into Brazil, expanding into India, expanding into Indonesia. Um, uh, Nigerian uh, Paystack, which is a fintech company, was just acquired by Stripe for $200 million. Wow. So it's actually happening. Yeah, and they paid him. Yeah, that was like two weeks ago. So it's happening. Um, and then, of course, once the market grows, internet becomes faster and cheaper and people have more money because middle class grows. You will actually see a big opportunity for, for e-commerce and online travel. So the, the things which I've been involved in for so many years, however, I still claim it's just the tip of the iceberg because the... Mm the economies of the Africa are not really catching up yet. There's mm. way too many too poor people. Uh, so FinTech, to, to finish your answer to question, uh, FinTech definitely, by far, not only as a potential to become huge in Africa, but even to extent of African solutions being able to expand into other regions. Another example, Facebook uh, was testing Libra, their Bitcoin-based uh, currency, I think in Brazil, in Nigeria first, because they could see the potential there. Um, yeah. I could talk about this for, for hours. This, this yeah. My, uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I want to talk about um, Sunroof. Uh, yeah. And because uh, you're you're big in solar right now. Again, you're a co-founder and board advisor for Sunroof. Um, what is what is Sunroof and, and where does, uh, I guess, what makes that technology uh, exciting? Yeah. So a couple of layers here. So uh, last nine years, almost 10, was for me always e-commerce technology in Africa. And I felt like I need a second leg to bet on. Also lately with COVID and everything that's been happening. And I figured I want to go into solar because I see a huge potential for renewable energies right now. And also I wanted to keep growing. I didn't want to end up being this routine guy that does only one thing, only technology, only in Africa. You want to keep growing. So for me, solar industry was something that everything that is there, I have to learn from scratch. And also a new market because some of the company which I now invested in is uh, joined. Uh, is actually focused on Africa, on Europe uh, first. Essentially what Sandro does is, uh, Sandro is quietly becoming the biggest European competition for Tesla roofs, which is mm. building solar roofs. Um, so a yeah. solution that puts a roof on your on top of your head and also uh, generates uh, uh, power. That's super exciting for me because again, just like I like in Africa, you're building a company and you see the positive impact net effect on the environment around you, not only making money, I also see that in the going into renewable energies, which is something that the world needs, considering everything that's happening around us, climate change and so on, and the fossil fuel is running out uh, in the next decades and so on and so on. Is uh, so sunroof is for that's for homes, right? More residential, or is it? It's both for both. Actually, I see. Looks like both for homes and for business. So they, I think the idea, and and I'm looking at uh, your video that you've got running on the site right here. So. Yeah. It's it's a replacement for your roof. Uh, so this would this would, uh, you know, just kind of again. I appreciate this video that that's right on the top of the website. Okay, here's how yeah. it, exactly how it's built. Look at that. <laughs> put it right on on top of the wood, and so you don't have to. You don't. Looks like you don't. It replaces the shingles as well as the um, you know just having the solar built right in. Correct. Beautiful. It's. Uh, it's- it's not a good solution for you if you have a you know pretty new well work working roof. Then you might want to go go just for panels. But mm-hmm. if you're building a new house, new construction, sure. Stu- it's, if you're building a new house or renovating the old roof, it's actually stupid to first buy roof 
and then putting solar panels on top of it. Yeah. Because you can have a two-in-one solution that is cheaper than mm. two on top and, and more powerful and looks much more beautiful, which yeah. I believe is the, very important, the, 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 mm. the beauty of it. You know? Yeah, that's fantastic. So the um, what's what what's the opportunity there? Like, how are you... Uh, with Sunroof, how are you bringing that to market? You know, what what yeah. what's your plan or your business plan there? Is this so, also? So, I should say either you either just started or you this was a recent launch, right? The company actually has been on the market since 2013. We just okay. uh, invested in shares, bought out all share, shareholders, and we kind of made it now a much more aggressive in terms of growth. Mm-hmm. We, we essentially bought the patent on the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, I think there are two angles worth mentioning. Um, first is that we really believe that solar is the technology of choice for every individual. Yeah. Because I just can't imagine you having a micro nuclear power plant in your basement <laughs> uh, solar power has become way cheaper in the last couple of years yeah. and way more powerful and the economics of it have started to make sense finally for an individual which wasn't the case five or ten years ago where the first you know solar uh, demand happened now it's actually the economics are behind it mm-hmm. um so so that's what we really really believe in of course the second aspect is the fact that you 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 don't want to have a two-in-one solution. You don't want to pay twice because if you have a two-in-one solution, also the carbon footprint is lower. But this, this is all technology and it's irrelevant, to be honest. I got to be honest with you. Our technology is amazing. We're cheaper than Tesla. We're more powerful than Tesla, but customers don't care. Yeah. And that's the, para- that's the paradox of our sector because the better our product is, the quicker the client forgets about it. Because you don't want you don't care how it works. You want this to be on top of your roof, just like electricity. You just turn it off and it's there. It's out yeah. there. So what what we actually realized is that ecology and sustainability doesn't necessarily have the best ring to it for a typical average Joe. You know why? Because you say ecology, people think Tesla driving vegans, too ideological about it, tree huggers, or people who live in the forest off grid and take a bath, take a shower in the river once per week. What we've realized is that what is lacking is that... uh, communication that you can live a sustainable life, you can live a green life and also save money by having power from the sun, but still not compromise on your comfort and and quality of life and, and emotions. Uh, so what we actually have done is we ended, uh, entered partnerships with companies like Porsche, showing that, you know, you can have a roof that produces power, that puts money, it puts gas, puts power into your Porsche for free. And there are more and more electric cars. We also know how amazing Tesla is in terms of uh, technical specs mm-hmm. and give you all that excitement uh, that you want. So all our marketing and all our communication is really about not mentioning the product itself because it just has to work. No one cares how it works. Yeah. In terms of kind of talking to a uh, you know, a business owner audience, uh, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, they're decision makers with, six, seven, eight figure businesses that list in this program, like what, you know, in terms of like what they might want to pay attention or what they may want to reach out to you regarding, um, aside from the book, which sounds like a lot of fun, uh, you know, who, who, who would you look to connect with and, and what, what would they do to reach out and connect with you? That's a good question. So, uh, worth mentioning about the book, if you don't mind, is that, uh, I also launched a charity, which is uh, very active in Nigeria. Uh, mm. And all the proceeds from the book uh, sales actually go 100% to the charity. 
so even if you don't like the book, you're going to support a good cause and the book acts as a very good uh, table supporter <laughs> for your furniture. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I think when I look at all the businesses that I was able to build, and I'm also like a mentor at the Google Launchpad program for, for young startups. I was also a mentor at the World Bank program for African startups. Um, one of the biggest issues of any company, I wouldn't say any six-figure company, but one of the super important issues for you is always to have enough cash in the bank uh, because revenue solves all the problems. Mm -hmm. And there are two really ways to, to solve that cash in the bank problem, which allows you to go through hard times and, and survive even making bad decisions. You either already have revenue and you were able to put enough money on the bank account, which is not always the case, or you take advantage of all the investments which are now available on the market, private equity, venture capital, and so on. And when I looked at all the businesses that I have built, looking at the amount of mistakes that I have made, I should have been bankrupted 10 times more than I really mm. did go bankrupt because I did go bankrupt a couple of times with the companies. But the ones that we survived, we were actually able to, so to raise enough money from investors. Uh, that gave us the comfort of making mistakes, especially when you're opening a business in an emerging market. Yeah. And, and raising enough money actually helps you survive big problems. Amazon would go bankrupt uh, in the late 90s after the dot-com bubble if they didn't raise enough money. And I could mm -hmm. come up with many, many um, uh, examples like this. I think we were always good at raising money from the right investors who, who, who gave you enough support, both financial and non-financial, to allow you to survive. Um, and um, I guess this is where I can come into the game when someone wants to listen to and talk more about this. I guess that's, I think that's the value which, which I'm able to, to give. Um, for the e-commerce business in, uh, in Africa, the company in total has raised almost half a billion dollars, yeah. uh, which, which really allowed the company to survive. Uh, you wouldn't be able to build an e-commerce business in sub-Saharan Africa if you only counted on your uh, EBITDA. Um, if this is a, if this is an interesting case for someone, I guess I know a thing or two about that. Besides, besides expanding into Africa and launching businesses there, because right. I think that's self self understanding. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Marek uh, Zmezlowski. And uh, You're your website, so much <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so your website, and, and it's it's linked up uh, for our American friends if you need some help in spelling that. Uh, but it, you're just found on the web at MarekZmislawski.com, and uh, you know, and again, the book uh, is available on Amazon. That's all linked up um, from your website as well. Um, but again, that is. Um, called Chasing Black Unicorns. And uh, I, I love the review. Sounds like it would be a really good one on audiobook in particular. It, that's what they say, that the audiobook <laughs> is actually better. You can also see that the reviews of, of audible version are better than the read, read, readable yeah. one. Uh, the website to remember is chasingblackunicorns.com, which oh, okay. is like the easiest one. Yeah, and chasing it, black it, it's links to everything about what I'm doing, the, the foundation, uh, the charity, and, and the book as well, and myself. Great. Great. All right. Marek, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks again for the invitation and allowing me to share my story on your platform, which is a great one. I keep listening to it. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. 
Now, if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.